You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. And thank you for staying with us on Real Presence Live. I'm Teresa Curley. And I'm Deacon Roger Height. And we've had a great morning this morning so far. And today... Um, there's this big thing happening in the Supreme Court today that requires a lot of attention, a lot of prayers. And so joining with us from the Supreme Court is Christopher Dodson from the North Dakota Catholic Conference. Thanks for being with us today, Chris. Well, thanks for having me. I hope everybody can hear me. There's a big crowd here. All right. Well, that's encouraging, the big crowd. Um, where are you calling from today? I'm outside the U.S. Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. Inside, the uh, justices have started the hearing on the case of uh, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, which is probably the most significant abortion case to come up in generations. Mm. Well, now, why is this so important? Like, I'm not sure how familiar... Um, a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with it, but could you just tell us why it's so important for the pro-life case? Yeah, Mississippi passed a ban on abortion after 15 weeks, and it put directly at issue whether Roe and Casey should be overturned. Those are the two cases that the Supreme Court stands by now for the so-called right to abortion. Um, they're playing the argument. It's a little hard to hear through the speakers because there are so many people here. Uh, but it sounds as though the questions revolve around that issue alone. It's not a nuanced issue about abortion law. This is directly at the heart of Roe and Casey, whether it was wrongly decided and should be overturned or significantly scaled back uh, in, in some way. So that's why it's so significant. This is probably the best opportunity we've had in the pro-life movement for decades to at least return the issue to the state so that we can, at the state level, protect human life the best we can. Wow. Chris, this is Deacon Roger. As I understand it, uh, you know, they get about an hour in front of the justices today and they've all submitted briefs called amicus briefs um, and and then probably won't hear anything until april may june sometime in there uh i would expect you but you never know uh and it's difficult to read the tea leaves on these things for the court but uh we also need to see what they do with the texas abortion ban which is before the court, they haven't decided whether to let that proceed or not. Um, and that, that may be a clue, it may not. It gets, it gets, some, constitution, that gets some complicated constitutional law. So. Let me tell you what I see here, though. There are a large crowd, and they're divided, but it's overwhelmingly pro-life. And the pro-life crowd is significantly younger than the other crowd. And it's wow. um, heartening to see. And uh, busloads, busloads of students from uni- a university just arrived here, pro-life, all pro-life, 
Um, and that just added maybe like a thousand people right there to this crowd. Uh, it's exciting. It's a diverse group. There are atheists for life here, secular groups, radical feminists for life. It's uh, Catholic, Protestant, evangelical. Uh, so it's a diverse group. There's much more diversity in the pro-life movement than the media wants to portray. And it shows here right here on the ground. Well, it's interesting, Chris, you mentioned the media. Are you seeing uh, the national media focusing at all on the pro-life people, or are they interviewing mostly the uh, um, abortion I, people? I've seen them interviewing both. Uh, okay. But mostly I've seen the cameras just looking for a space that they can film things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they are, def- that they are definitely covering it. And there has been a lot of coverage um, on all the media platforms about this hearing. Have you had any contact with the uh, North Dakota delegation in terms of the congressperson and the uh, Senate? Well, all three of our representatives in Congress are very pro-life, and uh, it, it's great to have them. And I have a general rule at the North Dakota Catholic Conference. I don't bother them with things that they usually agree with us on. Just give them the heads up every now and then. Thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I don't have to talk to them about abortion, and that's a good thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There are are some people here from North Dakota. I uh, thought there were from South Dakota, and I'm sure there are from Minnesota, from the other listening areas. Um, a lot of the state Catholic conference directors are meeting this week. The meeting starting tomorrow, um, and some of this, some of us got here early specifically for this. I was with the Texas Catholic conference director earlier um, in the crowd, and um, there's certainly a Catholic presence here from our listening area and the proclamation. Wow, you're joking about that crowd. That's encouraging. Um, I'm kind of curious, is the crowd, like, um, what's what's the general feeling of the crowd? Like, is it a lot of anger or hope? Like, what are you sensing? Well, I'm, uh, I'm standing on the pro-life side, and it's, it's a feeling of hope. That's a good way to describe it. Um, very positive, it's very uplifting, a lot of smiles, um, people maybe here in prayer, other people listening to the talks. They had a long list of pro-life women speakers earlier, and they'll continue that, I think, to a new. Um, all women from different backgrounds, uh, very diverse, from science and medicine and law, uh, activists and Abby Johnson, people like that. And so they're listening to the crowd. And it's very, it's very uplifting just to be here. Um, I've walked over to the other side, and yeah, it's, they're angry, um, not happy. Um, so pray for, pray for them. You know, pray for our justices, pray for the people here, but pray for the other side as well, for the conversion hearts. Chris, do you know if the uh, Supreme Court posts its arguments uh, like for those of us who are working today that 
we could go and listen to the arguments uh, on the internet later today? You can, yes, and I will uh, be listening to those. You can hear them on the, if you just look up SCOTUS um, and Google or something, it'll come up at the Supreme Court website, and you can listen mm, to the arguments. And um, they don't video the arguments, but they tape them now, and they're, they're really interesting enough. Again, I'm a constitutional law guy. I love this stuff. But um, mm-hmm. it should be interesting and give you an idea. The, uh, the Mississippi Solicitor General, who is the main argument for the Mississippi law, is um, a former clerk of Justice Clarence Thomas. And mm-hmm. that helps in the sense that when you clerk for an important justice, you understand how the court works, you understand how the justice is thinking, you understand what are they looking for in their question. So uh, I'm interested in hearing it earlier. The Mississippi Attorney General was out here, uh, talked to the crowd before she went into the court. Uh, And uh, she's she's been great in taking taking this case on and uh, just taking the lead, not being shy about it at all going to defend the law and understand what's at stake here. This is the best chance mm-hmm. we have to get back to ability to really protect unborn children. Wow. Chris, do you know if uh, are, are things like the amicus briefs available publicly or is that not something we would have access to? They are. They're on the SCOTUS website, and um, there's a lot of them. And they, um, the pro-life ones are really good. Uh, I haven't read all of them. I've read some of them, but they come from various groups. There's some in particular that I'd recommend um, from a group of feminist scholars saying that um, abortion is not necessary for equality of women, in fact, um, is um, diminishes the dignity of women. Uh, it's very well done uh, with statistical data and legal data. Because and if I remember correctly, yeah, the whole abortion thing is a lie about that it, mm-hmm. it helps women. It's all built on a lie. Mm-hmm. It not only destroys the child, it destroys women and has destroyed or hindered the ability of women to uh, be protected and advance the society. I, I keep telling mm-hmm. people, I work in policy, I keep telling people, we don't, we don't get respect for women, respect for pregnant women, respect for health care, so long as, in a lot of people's minds, killing, killing the child in the womb is an alternative. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be. You're not going to be able to really have respect for women and women's rights if abortion is conceived is seen as essential to their dignity. Yep. Very good. All right. Well, thank you so much for updating us on everything that's going on, and thank you for your presence there, Chris. Um, do you have any? other thoughts or reflections that you want to tell our listeners about this case and about the pro-life movement in general? Well, I think what happens with this case or not 
we have to remember to help the mothers. We have to step mm. up as a society to help the mothers, whether it's at the pregnancy centers, whether it's working through policies with your Catholic conference, um, it working whether the way it's run, you run your businesses, you need to step up. Um, just in our case, along quickly, can I say this? That there's like 800-something women in North Dakota that have abortions every year. We need to be there for them so that we get that number down to zero. What do we do in society? What, what do we, whether we win this or not, we need to be there for the women. So there's things to do. Look for um, the things from the bishop's office, Catholic bishop, yes, Catholic bishop's office about walking with moms, and let's let's do more there. And, tra- and, and last thing, pray for everybody. Well, that's uh, that's very important. I remember uh, my uncle. Uh, used to, before his death, was in Fargo. Uh, every, I think it was every Friday morning, at the plan at Planned Parenthood's abortion clinic. For twenty some years, he was there every Friday, and it was a great witness to all of us in the family about uh, how one man can change uh, lives and be committed to something. And, uh, you know, I don't know if anyone has stepped up and taken his place or not. His name was Phil Hook, and uh, just a marvelous witness. I remember All one. Right, well, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. If oh, I, no, no, I, no, go I, for yeah. it. <laughs> no, we, no have, we have time. <laughs> um, one time, you know, someone in my family had an unexpected pregnancy, and, you know, she was a teenager, and we took her into our house. And we didn't even have a place where we sleep. She slept on the floor for a while. But Bishop Aquila, now Archbishop Aquila in Denver, said to your kids, meaning my kids, who were little at the time, that would be the greatest pro-life witness they'll ever see. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I thought about that. You know, sometimes it's that. That's what we need to do mm-hmm. is just reach out a helping hand. And some people do it at the clinic, you know, standing outside and playing at the abortion mill. Some people do it at the pregnancy centers. Some people just do it and do it in policy. I do public policy. In our families, we need to do it too. Very important. Um, yeah, it's like that encounter in life, no matter no matter what age, whether the child's still in the womb or it's the mother who's in this crisis situation and she doesn't know where to go next. We really need to encounter them to be fully pro-life. And as we do, you know, we we encounter people who have had abortions. I think to recommend the Project Rachel to them is a is a great healing tool, a uh, way of healing from an abortion. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. Um, please know that you'll be in your prayers, you and all the other uh, pro-life supporters outside the Supreme Court, and we'll be praying for a um, holy outcome of the hearings today. Thank you. And God bless. All right, God bless. Wow, that was, that was super awesome. Yes, that's uh, great to hear the young people are there. That's uh, understanding what the tragedy of abortion is is doing to our country. 
Yeah, absolutely. And if you're listening, uh, this is a call to action. Um, there are important things going in our going on in our country today. So keep the Dobbs case in your prayers today. Um, you know, see if there's any sa small sacrifice you can make. Yes. Small, big, <laughs> whatever. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Real Presence Live. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. SJ Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, SJ Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together toward success. SJ Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. Have you ever worried about someone's salvation, especially one who died by suicide? I'm Father Chris Alar. Sometimes the state of their soul seems to cause us fear for their eternal fate. They die in what seems to be a hopeless state of sin and unrepentance. However, Jesus says in 1698 of the Diary of St. Faustina that what looks hopeless to us is in fact not so. He says that many times the soul illuminated by a ray of his final grace turns to him in the last moment to receive complete forgiveness of all sin and punishment, although we see no external signs of this. Wow! We can see why Jesus said that divine mercy is mankind's last hope of salvation. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. The Mustard Seed Catholic Store is South Dakota's place to purchase Catholic books, gifts, and decor. With locations in Rapid City and Sioux Falls, we are here to provide you with gifts for the Catholic occasions in your life. From baptism to First Communion, confirmation to weddings, and ordinations, we pride ourselves in having local artists share their creative talents, making rosaries, crucifixes, artwork, coffee, and books. We are located in Rapid City on Main Street, in the new Diocesan Building, or in Sioux Falls on Grange Avenue across from Costco. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to Real Presence Live. I'm Teresa Curley. And I'm Deacon Roger Height. And earlier, right before the break, we were talking to Christopher Dodson from the North Dakota Catholic Conference, and he was outside the Supreme Court building um, where the hearings for the Dobbs case were going on. So Very interesting and uh, really excited to hear the number of pro-life people that were there. Yeah, it's, it's encouraging. It really is. But we need your prayers and support. So, well, we all need to be united in prayer about this. So, um, today's the day. Yes, it is. <laughs> Keep it in your prayers and on your heart today. And um, earlier, when we were talking uh, about Deacon's book in progress... He mentioned that he had a story about Lester, and I was intrigued because I love the name Lester. So, well, this was uh, back when I was in Sturgis, and uh, it was—I uh, don't exactly remember the year—but um, 
this man, and I'll just use his first name, Lester, Lester and his wife Mary were very devout Catholic uh, people, and they were at Mass all the time and very involved in the church. And uh, during that time, uh, you know, this was back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, at the sign of peace, Father and I would uh, come off the altar and, and go down and shake hands with people. Well, Lester's wife, Mary, died, and Father was going to be gone for a couple of days, so he asked me to go over to Lester's house and to spend some time with him and then also to make the arrangements for the wake service and for the uh, funeral and do the readings and all that kind of arrangements. And so uh, I did and went over one evening and Lester and I had a beautiful conversation and we talked about Mary and about her life and um, they didn't have any children but uh, the different experiences that they'd had as a couple. And um, so I got ready to leave and as I was going to the door, um, Lester said, you know, uh, Deacon, he said that uh, Mary and I often prayed for you at Mass that you wouldn't uh, leave the ministry. Hmm. And I said, why would I leave the ministry? And he said, well, you know, at the sign of peace, you always go down and kiss that woman, <laughs> and we're afraid that you might leave the ministry for that woman. Well... <laughs> Uh, that woman was my wife, Diane, and uh, it was an opportunity for me to explain to Lester that I wasn't a priest, that I was a permanent deacon, and that it was okay for me to kiss that woman. And uh, But, you know, it was an encounter that taught me that not everybody understands the role of ministry of a permanent deacon, mm. and that uh, we need to educate people about who is a deacon, and it's okay for him to be married. Of course, now we can't leave the altar at the sign of peace, which was probably a good thing. <laughs> but, uh, so but, you know, they, um, this is a very simple thing, yeah. uh, but it created misunderstanding, and, and God bless Lester. And, uh, uh, but uh, he, you know, after I told him that, he, uh, he breathed a sigh of relief and said that. <laughs> it was good to know. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and how easy it is for us to just like, you know, cast judgments on things without realizing that there's so much of it that we don't understand, but mm -hmm. also like what a blessing it is for evangelization. Yeah. And as he said, to explain the role of a deacon. Well, and, you know, again, it's an encounter. It's mm -hmm. an encounter. Uh, and uh, we need to really um, en enjoy those and appreciate them. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, you also had a story about Sister, I can't think of what her name Sister is. Sister Sardo. Yes. Uh, how much time do we have? Five minutes. Five minutes, yeah. okay. Well, Sister Sardo was my uh, teacher in the sixth grade at St. Mary's in Lemon. And um, you know how sometimes you just, uh, personalities clash. Well, Sister Sardo and I, uh, I'd had her in the fifth grade as well. And over the summer, I had, now you probably don't know this, but 
in the we used to set pins in the bowling alley when the uh, okay. guys roll the ball down you set the pins and i did that and i learned some new words <laughs> well that fall in school uh sister asked me a question and i mistakenly used one of those words and she came down the aisle and grabbed my ear and stood me up and out the door we went uh and my dad was a mechanic for a john deere dealership and they worked a block down from the school so down the street we went sister had my ear and uh it didn't hurt anyway but anyway it was more embarrassing <laughs> and instead of going in the back to the shop she went through the front door so we went through the sales department we went through the parts department and we went through the door to get to the shop and my dad was working on a tractor in the back and it was like he had this sixth sense because i i can still see him stepping from behind the tractor and wiping his hands on a rag and we get up to him and and she says mr height and he said yes sister and my dad took my hand and he took me out in the alley and he gave me uh three swats on my behind and brought me back and gave me to sister and he said he won't bother you the rest of the year <laughs> and sister said thank you and we walked back to the school hand in hand now um go forward a number of years and it's my four folks's 40th wedding anniversary and i start to tell that story as a bunch of my brothers and sisters and their families are sitting around and my dad said wait a minute roger he said what did you ever do that caused her to bring you down to the shop he had never asked and that was a very good lesson for me i never used those words again <laughs> but uh and sister sardo and i became very good friends after that and uh but uh you know again it's an encounter it was an encounter with discipline mm. and um that i needed to know you don't use that language yeah and uh but so sister sardo and i uh, again we we became good friends later in life and um that's awesome interesting but. <laughs> i love that well if you're just tuning in uh earlier deacon roger and i were talking about uh his book and life in progress <laughs> um Encountering Jesus on a Diaconal Journey, 88 Stories. And this is just coming from a lifetime of ministry and service and marriage and all those good things. Yes. So. It's been an interesting life. <laughs> it sounds like. And I guess that's what happens when you say yes to the Lord. He just takes you on these paths of encounter that you never would have dreamed of. Right. And it's just uh, about being open to it. Mm. And just saying, take me where you want me, Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Well, you know, as uh, these stories have taught me to um, really live an openness to God. Amen. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Real Presence Live. <laughs> 